I don't know whether you can hear me or not. Maybe some of what I'm saying will echo through. Give me some of that. <laughs> I think someone just honked at us. Perhaps. Oh, welcome back to Chess Gab, bro. Episode <laughs> 40. When you have four roommates... <laughs> when you have four dudes that live with you, it's kind of hard to find some quiet <laughs> space in the house. Um, uh. So that's Clark uh, helping me with the intro. So yeah, that's why I'm recording this outside because it's kind of hard to find a nice place to do this and uh, I'm going solo. Uh, I had Clark, my roommate, join me for the intro there you heard, but I'll be kind of just talking about this topic. I have a race coming up, um, the Indianapolis Marathon this Saturday and this episode will come out Sunday. So yeah, hopefully um, I'll still be alive after that. So yeah, I've had a lot of time going towards that and training so I'm looking forward to having more time open in my schedule and stuff but um I just wanted to take some time to talk about Psalm 51 and just to be regular with the podcast even though I wasn't able to get someone to do this with me um I just thought yeah I had a little bit of content and this is something I've honestly thought about for uh, probably a year and a half I mean since the beginning of COVID, um, Psalm 51 has just been one of those chapters on my heart that I've gone back to and read lots of times and recently just really have, um, been able to apply it to my life. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about this episode because Psalm 51 is a, is, it's a deep Psalm. So I'm calling this Psalm 51, a young man's meditations. I'm not calling this a a sermon or anything because, I mean, first of all, (laughs) uh, Charles Spurgeon, who some people call him the Prince of Preachers, said, such a psalm may be wept over, absorbed in the soul, and exhaled again in devotion, but commented on, ah, where is he who have, having attempted it, can do other than blush at his defeat? Um, Spurgeon said that. Uh, on the Psalms about Psalm 51. So um, I don't, I'm not going to act like I can do that or the Psalms in general um, are very hard. So this is just my meditations as I've uh, matured and grown and uh, a, particularly a young man's meditations. And um, so there's a very uh, like a sexual uh, sin, like there's a bent towards that in this and fighting that sin. But it not only speaks to fighting that sin, but uh, this is for anyone that God does rescue us from our sin. And so the concepts can still apply for different sin struggles in our lives. So we never become sinless. And so, um, yeah, I mean, this psalm has rescued me from my sin. Um, God has rescued me from my sin. And I guess this just played a little bit of a role um, in it. And yeah, I mean, there's tons of like things that connect with it too, that my mom would sing the song, uh, the psalm over me. She would say, created me a clean heart, oh God, when I was a, uh, you know, an infant. Um, So, and then my dad commented on this psalm during my 
sister's marriage and i mean dude this psalm goes hard in the paint i'm just saying so um it just it it's rung through my childhood and it welcomed me into my christian walk and has brought me into manhood and i think the themes here are very core to christianity and so there's there's a ton of reasons um why this psalm is near and dear to my heart not only that but it's the christian experience i think that every christian goes through um what happens here in psalm 51 when you become a christian and it teaches you how to turn back to christ when you don't feel worthy um just to become a christian i mean considering our unworthiness and uh, in church history many martyrs have died for their faith these were the words that they said like going to um their death i mean like why would they recite Psalm 51? You know why not? Um, you know John 3:16 or um, some other verse. But a lot of people chose this one, and then um, yeah, it just helps you to find true joy and fight sin. So I'm gonna read uh, Psalm 51, and then we'll just take some time to talk about it and um, just the different things and thoughts that I've had and that have grown in, uh, as I've thought about Psalm 51. Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. So, um, this psalm speaks of David after um, he sinned against not only uh, Bathsheba and Uriah, but God. And that's really... Um, the context that we're looking at and so you know just for a, a brief reminder of where we're at to understand uh, the gravity of what happened I mean David's a king um, he's not only a king but he's a really 
good king, actually. I mean, uh, Matt Mason comments on Psalm 62, and he says, David had what you might call an early break. He killed Goliath the giant. That tends to bring you into the public eye. Everybody was talking about him. I mean, popular songs were written about him. Israelite girls sang them these songs in the street. In light of that, David would have known the temptation to like find a security and human approval because early on David became a magnet for powerful, beautiful, upwardly mobile people. And so, you know, that's what Matt Mason says looking at David's life as a king during this time. Um, you know, he killed Goliath, like David's the man. Um, but despite all this, David simply loved God. That was his heart. And so, you know, at this point, it's like he had all the riches, the fame, but he just wanted God. And David thought he had it all together. Uh, during this time, uh, you see he's at like the pinnacle of his um, kingship and they're going out to battle, another battle. And so David sends out Joab, one of his servants um, in all Israel, and David stays back. You know, he's chilling at Jerusalem. And one afternoon, he gets up on his couch, and he's walking around. And then he sees a woman bathing. Uh, and it comments, you know, says she was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And it's Bathsheba. And he's like, yeah, and this is the wife of Uriah. And so he finds that out. He, like, he knows this. Like, he's intentionally, like, taking these steps forward. And the messengers take her and bring her to the king um, and he lays with her she has she conceives and you know she tells David I'm pregnant and so in an effort to cover up what he's done he sends Uriah to the front lines um, one of his best warriors or, you know his bravest that he he wouldn't uh, succumb to you know, the comforts of staying at home with his wife. David tried to cover it up, and um, it did not work. And so this is the situation uh, that is in the context. And so David kills Uriah, sending him out in the front lines, and all the other warriors back up. I mean, it's like a scene. They deliberately left him and um, because David asked him uh, that so he would die. And so... And that's, that's David. I mean, he doesn't seem to change until he's confronted. And so Nathan, a prophet, comes and he tells him a story about a man that has one lamb and a very poor man and this other man who has lots of, you know, lambs. And the, the, the man, the poor man with the, his lamb would eat with it. It was like his child. And the other man had some guests coming and he took that one for himself and uh, prepared it. Um, so when David hears this story, I mean, anger rises up and he's like, he says, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. That's just a little refresher on where we're at. I know it's Psalm 51. Some people listening may, you know, be a newer Christian or maybe I've heard that a couple of times, but it, I don't think it hurts to 
bring it up. And so that's where we're at. And this is Psalm 51. And this is David's response um, to God after he has sinned. Um, and so as I've like thought about this psalm and um, prayed through this psalm, memorized the main theme that it talks about is brokenness. You know, you hear that word multiple times, like broken. It's like uh, a broken and contrite heart. Uh, You'll not despise and um, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And there's this central uh, theme about brokenness. Uh, One of the things that strikes me when I hear Psalm 51 is it's not a story of getting rid of the bad and keeping the good in, uh, but it's a life of getting rid of self-reliance and keeping a broken heart. Um, I think of uh, Matthew and the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I remember going on a run uh, with a friend of mine. He's like, hey, you want to go on a run? It's like really rainy that day. We go out. And um, I was telling him, I was like memorizing some of the Beatitudes. And so one of those is that one right there. The blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. I said that and he was like, what's that mean? And I was like, well, you know, it kind of means that those who are mourning, uh, those that have lost loved ones uh, or like had something really sad happen, God will comfort them. And he said, you're not wrong, um, but that's not really what it's talking about. And so as he started talking about it, he said that this is talking about those who mourn for their sins, those that realize how they have sinned against God and that are um, grieved for because of their sin. And I mean, it just kind of gave me a new meaning uh like, you know, this is, and that's the whole, if you look at the context of that, the Beatitudes, he's describing the Christian experience. You know, this is what happens to become a Christian. Like, if you're a Christian, this thing has happened to you, and it kind of builds upon it, itself. It's, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And these characteristics of a person are all building on each other. And you see that they're all kind of talking about the same thing, like the poor in spirit, um, those who mourn, those who are meek. And like, you realize these are people that don't realize they, that realize they don't deserve the gospel. They don't deserve Jesus and those who hunger and thirst for Christ. And the rest of um, the Sermon on the Mount is just the Beatitudes lived out, the Christian experience lived out. And it says these like almost crushing expectations. Like if you don't, uh, if you look at a woman with lust, then, um, you know, you've committed adultery. Or uh, if someone hits you on the cheek, you know, turn to give them the other cheek or go another mile for someone. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says these things that are so impossible. And at the end of it, you realize it's like, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you realize like, yeah, I have not met these. Um, The law has, I have failed. I have failed the law. I have broken these. I can't do this. And the whole point is to bring you to be, realize I am poor in spirit, that 
I have nothing of myself. Um, you know, I, I don't deserve anything. I've messed up big time. And so, and then it makes you, you know, thirst for hunger and righteousness and it just builds on itself. So I mean, if you have the time, I'd really, really recommend you to look into the Sermon on the Mount. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a really awesome book on that. It's kind of thick. And I did a study with some guys, and I think they all didn't really like it that much because he's really wordy and stuff. But, I mean, it's a really enriching thing. But the whole thing I'm saying here is that Psalm 51 is the same thing. It's the Christian experience. This is what happens when you turn to Christ. And so it it's a realization that you are that man like <laughs> and i mean just bringing it back to myself like how did this work out in my life a lot of my christian life i realized like i thought i had it all together i thought i was a good christian who um you know if i if i prayed enough if i read my bible enough and it's like i do these things and then it's like i'm accepted in god's sight and really um god had to just show me my sin and um, had to make me aware of that, that I was not a good person, (laughs) that I have not done good, and um, there is no one good but God. And I think another theme you see in this psalm is just the deception of sin, (laughs) that it is deceitful and that we are deceitful people. And John Owen, in his book on the mortification of sin says man has a secret aversion to spirituality i love how he says that it's like a secret aversion to spirituality it's like i will do everything i can to deceive myself because i by nature am a broken person um but i don't realize that i am you know like i'm operating on my own um my own code and I think it's the right one. So it's like almost this disconnect between who we really are and who we think we are. And at the heart of it, you see Romans 3 also, that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And you ask, so like a lot of people, you know, you start talking about Christianity and it's like, are you a good person? Like, you know, how good have you done? And I mean, you'll hear from a lot of people. It's like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, Deep down, we think we're good people, um, but real, when you really start to poke and prod at our lives, you realize pretty quickly, and when you compare it to the standard of God, like perfection, like how messed up we really are. And so that's for you know non-believers, but this works the same way for Christians. It's like every day, like Martin Luther, the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. And so it's a a daily thing. And so, but you have to come to that point of realizing it's like, I am not as cracked up as I'm made out to be. So in college, I was a part of a campus ministry. And in it, um, like there was a joke between this other guy. It's like whenever you play a game of volleyball or something, you do something really well. And everyone starts saying your name like, you know, day 10, day 10. Um, he would start going, or like his name, you know, he'd go, me, 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 me. And I mean, it's funny, you know, like making fun of yourselves, but really there's some truth there. It's like, we, we really, you start to believe like, okay, like I really am like all that 
I am cracked up all to be. Um, and I, I think I, I am worth this much value. And, um, a couple years back, I took a trip with my family and we went, um, we got this rental car, pretty much we're all booked up, but my dad finds this one half price off, like literally like barely any cars. It's a van fits all of us. Like, you know, six people is like, okay, this is the one to go. It's like, dude, this golden, he was like, I'll even go this step up the, the golden model. <laughs> so he gets his van and, uh, we get there and we're like looking around for this van in the parking lot of the airport. And we're like, it's like, we get to it. And it's like, I hear my dad's like, you know, saying something. I get up closer and we're like, it's just like bronze, like poop colored van with mismatching hubcaps. And <laughs> like we get into it and it smells. And, you know, we couldn't even get the key, like the key to get it to start wasn't, was missing or something like that. Or, and we just had laughed the whole time that when we got to the hotel, there's like these really nice cars you know, like these Beamers and Lexus and, you know, just so these really like high end cars. And then we pull up in ours, which is like rattling. And <laughs> it was just so funny. We died laughing. Um, but the whole point is that my dad thought he was getting one thing. Um, like they made out the car to be something else and it really was that it was this nice car that, you know, it's like pretty new and this newer model and it really wasn't and <laughs> so and the same thing goes for our lives that we make ourselves out to be someone we're not we put ourselves in the position of god and we say we do what's right in our own eyes and um, i mean what happened to david he made himself right in his own eyes he said like if i do this um i can i'll still be okay or like you know i can uh take this step I mean I'm sure this wouldn't be that bad and there's a million ways we can try to self-justify someone or justify ourselves because we're desperate and like that quote said we have a secret aversion to spirituality and true spirituality says that I'm a sinner and um I deserve death <laughs> and David clearly when he saw it was in someone else's life the man who took the other guy's sheep he said like oh clearly that person deserves death but when it came to his own life um, he didn't realize that and so we need other people we need God to point that out in our lives and I think this psalm does a great job of bringing us to that place of mourning for our sin and who we really are and like in all this talk about like sin and our unrighteousness and mourning, I think it's like, I mean, you may be hearing this and you're like, bro, like I want to turn this podcast off right now. Like this stuff is like kind of making me uncomfortable and, you know, it's kind of not that fun. Um, but I will say this, um, same thing with Romans three, that if Romans eight is a beautiful flower, you know, it's like, all things work together for good for those who love God um, and are called according to his purposes. It's like, if that's the flower, then Psalm 51 and Romans 3 are the seed that it, it plants it. And out of the brokenness from this, when you believe it um, and trust um, 
it, it brings you to a place of relying solely on the goodness of God. And it brings you to the beautiful flower that the rest of the Bible is. When you see Psalm 51, you can see the rest of the gospel. And this is just really great gospel primer. And so, yeah, I hope um, I don't get sick of hearing um, about it. And I really would just take myself, I think Romans 3, I spent like a two months just like going through it and um, breaking it apart, trying to memorize it. I don't have it memorized anymore, but I think as I spent that time in it, it became a really sweet thing to realize it's like I cannot rely on myself and the one thing I really need is Christ and the one thing that will um, give me a new heart and that will give me joy is Christ. And so when I looked at Psalm 51, um, David's request that he's asking God really differed from the own, my own request that I was asking God at the time. I mean, I asked God, um, you know, help me with my job. Um, will you help me find a job? I didn't know what I was doing. Like, what should I do after graduating? I would ask him, um, what should I do about this relationship? Um, and or my family or my roommates um and listen those like those are really good things um but the central request that david was making was for mercy he asked like have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love and he asked for god to create him a clean heart he asked that his the bones that god has broken that they would rejoice and um that he would be purged of his sin. So, I mean, it's like David's request really differed from my own prayer request. And I think um, that God really does want to hear everything. I'm sure David asked about those little things, but the central heart that it comes from is asking mercy from God. It's like we don't deserve it, but God gives it freely. And so I think that's just a really uh, good thing. And as I'm talking, my battery on my laptop keeps going down. I guess it's this uh, weather or whatever, but so I, I probably won't be able um, to go much longer. And I mean, I would love to keep talking about this psalm. I have like multiple, it's like broken up into different parts. And so maybe I could talk more about it, make it a couple parter um, and come back to it later. But the verse I wanted to, to bring up is let me hear joy and gladness let the bones that you have crushed rejoice and I found these to be um, comforting words <laughs> um, to realize that to come into God's presence we need to be broken and so I mean it seems like a strange thing and that God's the one that's doing the crushing um, I mean, you think that God abounding in steadfast love would not involve himself in bone crushing, but since he does like love us so much, he can't help but break us um, so that we can come to know him. And I mean, that sounds odd, but let me explain it a little bit. I mean, this topic is very touchy because it hits home with every single human being. We have all experienced some type of pain. Um, that if you believe in God, it makes you question his goodness. And so, therefore, the answer to the question of why God want, 
would want to crush our bones is an important question to ask. The reason why God would allow the suffering of Israel, your best friend, your mom, your teacher, or yourself, is because he loves you. Romans 8.28 says that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So I know that when I read that and I, I say that, I want to squirm and fight back. I want to say, like, no, you don't. If you did, then you wouldn't do this. But God knows our hearts and better than we know are ours and what we need better than we do. And we really can tell uh, that the nature of the bone crushing is good by the intended response. He says, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The crushing moments are not purposeless, but they're specifically leading to our rejoicing in God, rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in God's mercy. The most stubborn hearts cannot help but sing to their creator when crushed to the point of repentance. Psalm 51 is talking about the brokenness of our heart as a result of our personal sin against God. Whenever this like topic comes up, I think uh, my tendency and why it's just good to think about this again is just that we always want to just go straight to the gospel, Christ dying for us and our sins, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, really, as I've been talking about this, it, it warms your heart to that, but you know, you want to skip to that right away. And I remember just studies in college of people introducing them to the Christian faith and just leaving off on this message right after talking about our sin and our brokenness and deserving of death. Then the study would just end (laughs) and I would be like, um, you know, it's like you guys will have to come back next week to hear, um, you know, what's going to happen or, you know, whatever. And there's that cliffhanger. It's just like, why not just like give it to them? but there is a part about it that makes us want it even more when we really meditate and understand our sin and just makes you delight in it, makes you see the actual worth and value of the cross is when it's in light of our sin. And so uh, next time if I bring up Psalm 51 and um, need to do a another podcast solo episode, I'd um, go over just the personalness that this psalm uh, talks about with our sin like how it is a very personal thing against God and I'll end with this application Um, it's a quote by John Owen he says prayer and meditation give a deep sense of sin and a renewed hatred of it which undoubtedly contributes to its ruin so prayer and meditation give a deep sense of sin and renewed hatred of it which undoubtedly contributes to its ruin and to us killing our sin to to hating it and um, loving God so he who pleads with God for the remission of sin also urges his own heart heart to hate it um, so yeah I mean I think uh, this has been good in just so many ways and I mean I, I just like if if you're a guy and listening I think there's a lot here just like helping to fight sexual sin um like psalm 119 says like how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word and this is like a great one that um you can just take to the bank uh, asking god to create in you a clean heart to give you joy um and to help you hate sin and 
um, just everything. I mean, when you really start to look on this, like there's so much in your life that just starts to come out and you see the wretchedness of your own heart and your own depravity. And that, I mean, that may sound terrible, but um, it makes God's grace so much sweeter. In the Psalm, it says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop was the thing that they would use to paint the blood over the the doorways in the Passover. And that was actually the branch that they used, the hyssop branch, to give Jesus the sponge to drink the wine as he's on the cross. And the symbolism there, realizing it's like our soul dependence is coming through God, the Lord, our salvation through Jesus. And I think it's so awesome to see that symbolically and also through this theme of brokenness that Jesus was broken for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement of us all. And with his wounds we are healed. (laughs) And like, why did he do that? Why did he suffer that? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, I mean, that's such a good word, that Christ was the one that was broken for our brokenness so that we could taste and joy and satisfaction in God, and we could be healed, we could be restored, and um, taste the the fullness of life and walk in, um, again, in peace between God and man. Um, It's a good word. So, yes, thank you for listening to episode 40. Psalm 51, a young man's meditations, I guess, meditations on Psalm 51. I don't know why I call it a young man. I just thought it would sound, you know, kind of like some sophisticated book, novel um, coming out soon. Maybe uh, not really, but thank you for listening again. Um, Let me know um, any podcast ideas you have and uh, comment below what your favorite thing about Thanksgiving is. Um, because it's coming up. So, yeah, thanks. Um, And that's how you trust God, bro.